On this episode of Blue 58, the Redskins and Packers work together to embarrass the Packers in Washington. What happened? We'll dive deep and try to figure out what, if anything, is worth taking away from this game. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of the 1-1-1 and Packers coming to you from thepowersweep.com. If that's not a confusing enough intro for you, I don't know what to tell you because I, I'm just dumbfounded after this one. I guess dumbfounded is maybe not the right word. Just confused as to how this, how things got to this point. What happened in this game is pretty straightforward, and we're going to go through a few different categories of what what went on in this one. We're going to talk about what happened, why it happened, some random takeaways, and then where we go from here. What happens next, I suppose you could say. So what happened in this particular game? Well, it's pretty simple. The Packers got worked. This is the first time this team, this team, this season, a team has really seemed to just have answers for everything the Packers is doing, were doing all game long. Everything that the Packers did well, the Redskins had an answer for, and they pushed the right buttons to take advantage of the Packers' shortcomings, particularly early on. The Redskins absolutely won this game. This isn't one where the the Packers lost more than the Redskins won. The Redskins won this one. There's no yeah, but in this game. Week one, if the Bears win, you say, yeah, but the Packers really owned the second half and Rodgers was hurt in the first half. If, if not for that, maybe things were a little bit different. They come back and win as it is, so no yeah, but necessary. Week two, you've got a tie, but you can say, yeah, but the Packers would have won if not for that flag. Week three, there are no buts here. Even the controversial calls really wouldn't have changed that game or this game all that much, and we'll show why here in just a little bit. Worse, everything that we slash really I talked about this game prior to this game went the complete opposite. The Redskins' offense was in control. They looked impressive. The Redskins' defense didn't look like they'd been a team beating up on subpar teams. They looked engaged in control. They knew what the Packers were going to do, and they had answers. As a whole, they just looked more engaged and better prepared than the Packers. This reminded me in a lot of ways of the Packers-Bills game from 2014. Much like this game, that game's final score didn't look too bad. 14 points in this one and eight points in that one doesn't look like too terrible of a loss. But the Bills won 21-13 because they played better and also because the Packers had tons of self-inflicted problems, including a a dropped touchdown pass by Jordy Nelson. Jordy Nelson had a huge game today, by the way, and I absolutely do not want to talk about that. The Packers offense was not one Jordy Nelson away today. They just weren't. And if you think that Jordy Nelson would be the answer for the Packers offense and their struggle so far this season, you're wrong. Uh, We're not going to have that discussion. You're just wrong. I'm sorry. So why did this game play out this way? Well, the Packers had some key miscues on some key downs. Here are the plays that ended the Packers' non-scoring drives. These are drives that did not end with field goals or or excluding the, the kicks at the end of drives. So I may have one that ended with a field goal in here, but these are the ones that really delayed Packers' drives. You had a, a Randall Cobb drop. You had a Devontae Adams drop. You had an Aaron Rodgers overthrow on a, a play where Randall Cobb was arguably open, but Rodgers' arm got hit. You had a bobbled snap on a field goal attempt. You had Randall Cobb dropping a pass on third down. You ha- or on fourth down, excuse me. You had Lance Kendricks dropping a pass. 
You had a pass run short of the sticks that wouldn't have picked up a first down anyway. Then you had a holding call that was declined. Then you had Randall Cobb fumbling. Then you had Aaron Rodgers throwing an incomplete pass in the fourth and 22 on the end uh, or at the end of the game. Then you had some other plays that didn't necessarily end drives flat out, but had big impact. Had a big impact in the second quarter. The Packers were facing a third and ten. Aaron Rodgers escapes the pocket, limping on that bad knee, limping on what looked like a gimpy hamstring there for a little while. Picks up the first down but it's called back due to a holding penalty. Then also in the second quarter, you had a second and 12. You ran The Packers ran a designed screen to Devontae Adams. This wasn't a run-pass option, just a designed screen. It picked up no yards at all because Adams danced instead of running forward. He ended up running, ha- having a few yards, then running back to the original line of scrimmage and getting tackled. Brings up a third and 12. The Packers can't convert. In the third quarter, there was a false start on, J- on Jason Spriggs on a second and nine play. That brought up a second and fourth, 14. Rodgers was sacked on second and 14, bringing up third and 18. You get a 16-yard pass to Devontae Adams, sets up a fourth and two, and then you have the Randall Cobb drop on fourth and two. The next drive, you have a third and 14. They throw a little check down pass. Ty Montgomery picks up the first down, but it gets called back because of a holding penalty. Holding penalty was a little bit iffy there. The Washington defender really sold it pretty well. That ended up getting the ball brought back. So I don't want to take anything away from what the Redskins did, especially on offense, especially in the first half. But the Packers, there's so many, so many self-inflicted errors, unforced errors, things that you could just as easily... I mean, push the ball a little bit further down the field. Make Washington go farther. Not that that apparently made any difference. The the Redskins went 98 yards on one drive. I mean, you you would obviously hope that they wouldn't do that regularly. But in another situation, maybe they can't quite convert as many third downs and get all the way down the field. Second thing, as we're talking about Washington being unstoppable on offense, they just had no answers for the Redskins in the first half. This is becoming a theme now. Mike Penton's defense can't beat the offense when they're on script. So as you've probably heard, most NFL offenses will script their first 15 15 to 25 plays or so. Some teams do as many as 25. Some teams do as few as 15. Somewhere in that neighborhood, you've got a scripted amount of plays. And the uh, the Packers seem to play really terribly against opposing offenses while they are on script. Once they work through their scripted plays, Penton, Penton can answer them. He, he does a great job. Uh, he does enough things to, I guess, play situational football and, and force them to make mistakes. But even with that happening today, it was too late. The Packers were already down 28 to 10 or whatever it ended up being. They gave up four touchdowns in the first half is the long and short of it. And that's just too big a hole to dig out. If you can hold the opposing offense to under 20, at least that gives you a chance. At least that puts Rodgers and the Packers in business to get close. But they didn't come close to doing that today. And it put the Packers in too tough a spot to come back from. Third, you've got questionable coaching decisions, two of which I would like to talk about here. First, at the end of the first half, the Packers made a little mini drive to get down the field and nominally into field goal range, but not really. 
because the Packers trotted out for a 60-yard field goal to end the half. What are you thinking, Mike McCarthy? This reminded me of the Pittsburgh game last year where he tried a, I think it was, 57-yard field goal, despite Pittsburgh being unusually tough to kick in. Like, nobody makes 50-plus-yard field goals there. Almost never. It almost never happens. The best-case scenario here pretty much played out. You had a botch hold, and J.K. Scott just ended up throwing an incomplete pass to Mason Crosby. So that'll go in the usage rate stats today. Mason Crosby is going to have a used play, technically. We may just throw that one out, but I don't know how that'll end up counting in the offensive plays or not. We'll have to ask NFL Game Stats and Information Services, but that is not, it's just a terrible, terrible game situation. What are the odds of Mason Crosby making a 60-yard field goal in the rain with the wind doing who knows what? I mean, the ball was so wet, it had to be like kicking a bowling ball. Just so soggy. I just don't understand the thinking there. The longest play, the longest field goal, excuse me, that I could ever find at FedEx Field was Graham Gano, known for having a very, very strong leg. He made a 59-yarder there in 2011, but I couldn't find a recent one even close to that long. Just seemed like a very, very low percentage chance for success there. And if you're trying to run a fake out of there, first of all, why? Why not just run a normal offensive play? But what what are the odds of success even then? I mean, you're 40 yards away, just or so, uh, 40 plus yards away for the line of scrimmage. Are you really going to fake them out enough that you can get all the way to the end zone there? It just seems like your odds of success, no matter what you do, short of a Aaron Rodgers Hail Mary, is going to have an extremely low probability of success. Why not just let Aaron Rodgers throw it deep? And if it's because he can't get enough on it with his knee being as it is, okay, so what? Figure something out. Or if he can't throw it that far because of his knee, should he be out there anyway? That's a question that will come up later and one that's been raised repeatedly by people outside the organization, which is stupid, but we'll talk about that in a second. Then, seven minutes and 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter. You're facing a fourth and five, the Packers are, from their own 46. At this point, they're trailing by 11. You absolutely have to go for it here. You have to. You have to. You must go for it here. Look at what happened in this game and you will see why. The Packers got the ball back almost as quickly as they possibly could have. The Redskins went three and out on their next possession. They even threw an incomplete pass on third down, stopping the clock. But by the time the Packers got the ball back, there was five minutes and 55 seconds left. You have to score twice at least to be in this game. And you might as well quit if you're going to punt on fourth and five because the Packers never got a better shot than they had there. And they lost. I don't want to say they lost because of this play or this drive or this decision here in particular, but the decision they made did not increase their odds of success. That drives me crazy, particularly as aggressive as McCarthy typically is. He's one of the more aggressive coaches in the league when it comes to going for it on fourth down. The numbers back me up on this, but in this situation, he goes conservative. Why? 
It doesn't make any any sense, especially when last week you have the Packers with the ball with less than two minutes to go and he throws to the end zone twice. Here he goes conservative. It doesn't make any sense. It, it, took, the, it took chances for the Packers to get back into this game away. Random thoughts and observations before we decide where we're going to go from here. On the Matthews hit, let's talk about Clay Matthews hitting Alex Smith here for a second. I don't know what you do here. I don't know where you go as a league from this point. Because not only is the league making these bad calls, they're pretending that this is the way that things have always been. Here is the pool report from referee Craig Rolstad after the game. I got this from Tom Silverstein online. The direct quote when asked about the Matthews hit. Quote, so that's not a new rule. I had judged that the defender landed on the quarterback when he was tackling him with most or all of his body weight, and that's not allowed. If you do that, it's roughing the passer, end quote. I don't take issue with the second part of that quote because that is the rule. However, that absolutely is a new rule, Craig. That is a new rule. There is a new rule for 2017 that says you cannot land with your full body weight on top of the quarterback. This is what everyone was talking about last week, the supposed Aaron Rodgers rule. Last week, when Clay Matthews got flagged, the NFL came out and said, nope, that's not the new rule. That's the scoop and pull move, or whatever whatever phrase they used there. That, they, he essentially picked him up and drove him into the ground. The, the Aaron Rodgers rule is the body weight one. You can't land on the quarterback. That's what they say Anthony Barr did last year. He, he couldn't land on him or whatever. Even if he had gotten flagged, Aaron Rodgers' collarbone would still have been broken, but that's beside the point. So is it a new rule or not? The refs say it isn't. The NFL apparently says it isn't, but it is. This is a new rule. Then, to make things worse, you have Deron Payne's hit in which he picks up Aaron Rodgers, twirls him around, then lands on him with his full body weight. It was kind of a suplex move, if you want to put it in pro wrestling terms. Here is what Rolstead told the pool reporter after the game on that one. Quote, I don't know exactly what play you're talking about, but from my memory, that was the only play where I had roughing the passer today. I don't know which play you're talking about. I'm sorry. There were a lot of QB hits today. End quote. What a load of malarkey. You know exactly what play he's talking about because you talked with Aaron Rodgers about it on the field. And the field mic, your mic, the mic you were wearing, picked it up. You talked about it with a player on the field. And now you're pretending like you don't know about it. It doesn't make any sense at all. The NFL is trying to have it both ways. Got a text from from a friend during the game. He said, Honestly, calls like that are a disgrace. What's this game even come to? I replied, man, I don't even know. Why would you even watch if you weren't a fan already? He replied, I actually thought about it, about shutting it off, and I'm a lifelong fan. I think, I think he's onto something there. Because if, if you're going to watch these games and try to watch something play out, but things that happen that you can see that are straightforward on the field just get taken away for no reason or capricious reasons or reasons that are inconsistently enforced, what do you do? What do you do as a fan? How can you hope to get some sort of consistency when they're 
obviously is no consistency at all. It's extremely frustrating. And here's, here's the worst part of it all. The NFL doesn't want this to be about the rules. They just want people to play a certain way and forget about the rules. But by making this game so much about the rules, by adding these new rules in, all you do is set up fans to dissect every single play for a potential rules violation. If you're going to parse every play so precisely like this, did he land on him with full body weight? Did he not? Did he scoop and pull? Did he not? Did he hit him two steps or two and a half steps after the quarterback released the ball? All you're doing is giving fans incentive to go look at these plays frame by frame in slow motion and try to figure out when a rules violation did or did not occur. For me, I would rather that you set up fans to go frame by frame and figure out exactly when the cool part of the play happened. When did Geronimo Allison break past the secondary on that deep play? I bet you even forgot that play happened because of so many of the other things that happened during this game. But there was some cool stuff that went on there. The Packers had some really creative, interesting play design there. But nobody's going to be talking about that play because of all the other things that happened in this game. Good and bad. Game and not game, if you're talking about these rules or calls. Wouldn't you rather have fans be looking at stuff like that? Of course you would. But the NFL is never going to get there anymore because this is what they've set themselves up for. You've set yourself up to just get eviscerated on every play or, you know, torn apart frame by frame on every potentially controversial call because of stuff like this. It's it's so silly. Oh, and then less than a quarter after that Matthews hit, the Fox broadcast that I was watching, I don't know if things were different where you were, I ran one of those NFL propaganda commercials about teaching tackling technique and playing safe and stuff like that. That is that is some hubris right there. <laughs> that's that's something else. Um, back to the game. In the second half, the Redskins only had 63 total yards of offense, according to the, the numbers we charted. Uh, six passing yards, uh, 57 rushing yards, averaged 2.8 yards per play. The defense held up their end of the bargain, at least for half a game. Uh, broadcasters, anybody involved in looking at this sort of stuff, NFL games, I guess that would be the stuff in question, uh, stop suggesting that Aaron Rodgers should sit out. Uh, Kevin Burkhart suggested it during the game. Tony Gonzalez suggested it immediately after the game. Uh, everyone should stop because it's not going to happen. He's not hurt enough that he's going to aggravate this knee injury by playing. Uh, he's not hurt enough that he needs to not play. He's not toughing through something that he shouldn't. Why would the Packers sit him down and rest him? You saw Deshaun Kaiser play for a couple series there. Why? Why would they sit him down? What what reason do they have there? Uh, if he's not going to make it any worse, there's no reason to not play him. So why, why would you suggest that? Semi-related to that, Fox's game presentation is just bad. Uh, you've got the ongoing issues with Dean Blandino uh, coming in and giving commentary on, supposedly authoritative commentary on things that are happening during the game that just undermine the credibility of the officials actually on the field, which is stupid if you already have a credibility problem with your officials. But beyond that, you've got other issues. Um, Nick Perry's laying hurt on the field and Fox bumps out with Best Day of My Life, that stupid song that's in all the car commercials for every brand of car. That's a bad look. Um, then you've got Kevin Burkhart and Charles Davis waxing eloquent about 
you know, what a competitor that Adrian Peterson is, which is fine. It gets a bit much sometimes, especially when you're Kevin Burkhart and you want to do the, and this is a direct quote, talk about how Peterson has done so well, quote, with all that he's been through over the past few years, end quote. Yeah, all that he's been through, like that suspension for beating his kids so badly they could barely walk. His kids, sorry, excuse me. I only assume that there is other situations like that going on because that doesn't strike me as an isolated incident, especially when Peterson says that's just the way that he does things. There's probably more there. Even if there isn't anything else there, what he has been through, Kevin, is a suspension for beating his kid. Among other things, sure, but that's one of the things that he's been through. Adrian Peterson is not a guy that you need to prop up, okay? Sure, he's a good player, whatever. Uh, In fact, at one point, he outran Jair Alexander in the open field, which is not a good look, but we don't need to prop up Adrian Peterson. Um, Circling back to the Matthews call, Mike McCarthy definitely made contact with an official while arguing that. Not good there, Mike McCarthy. He's lucky he didn't get flagged for something there. Uh, A word about Aaron Rodgers, a couple things. Um, He held the ball really long at a couple points today, a lot of points, in fact. He probably... I don't want to say derailed, but definitely slowed down their offense. And that's something that gets a little bit frustrating with Aaron Rodgers sometimes. You wish he'd get the ball out a little bit quicker and just play on time a little bit more because that's when the offense really works at its best. Semi-related, Aaron Rodgers seems to be getting fewer people to jump on his hard counts. It's something I've noticed at two or three occasions this year. The Bears were really disciplined on that. The Redskins were really disciplined today on that. You didn't get a lot of jumps um, or or any jumps in either of those games from what I noticed. He's, he's been not getting as many free play opportunities. Uh, throughout the course of this game, the Packers went through three right guards. Justin McCray was rough, may have had an injury. There was some talk about an arm wrap. I didn't see anything uh, confirmed about that, though. Lucas Patrick was not great. And Byron Bell came in at the end. And he wasn't in there enough to really make any much, any difference, good or bad. But that's something to watch. Uh, the right side of the offensive line was a bit of a disaster today. Bulaga played well until he screwed up his back. And that's the sort of thing that will never linger, obviously. I say that very tongue-in-cheek because back injuries are the worst. I think I hurt my back in football about 10 years ago. And I think I'm finally to the point where it doesn't really bother me anymore. Hooray for aging. Although that's kind of in reverse. It's not supposed to get better as you age. Hmm. Score one for me, I guess. Semi-related to offensive line issues, games like this are why I keep advocating drafting big guys early. Um, I was one of the few people in our, among the people who write for Acme Packing Company. I don't know if you've seen any of my work there. Check it out sometimes. Uh, But I was one of the few people in our group, our behind-the-scene writers chat, to actually advocate seriously that the Packers draft Vita Vea if they have a, had a chance this year. Sure, defensive line is a position of depth for the Packers, but you can always use more big guys up front, either on offense or on defense. The Redskins used their last two first-round picks, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, on defensive linemen, those two linemen in particular. And it showed they both played well today, both gave the Packers some problem in, uh, problems inside, and it never hurts to have quality defensive linemen around. This is a situation where you can lose a lot of depth in a hurry. The Packers lost some depth today when Muhammad Wilkerson got hurt, and it looks like he's going to be out 
for a while. Poor guy went to the hospital in an ambulance. It's crazy. On a play where Kentrell Bryce came downhill and hit somebody hard. There was some cruel irony to that, too. Uh, Kentrell Bryce said during this week that he pulled up on that play to Adam Thielen last week because he was worried about blowing up Jair Alexander. Well, this year, this week he comes in hard trying to make a play and ends up kind of hurting Muhammad Wilkerson. That is a cruel twist of fate if there ever was one. Finally, last random thought here. Jason Spriggs, not super great today, but he at least seems to look noticeably bigger. And if... If you can't at least, if you can't be the player the Packers thought you were when they drafted you, when they traded up to get you, at least change something. And it appears he has tried to change things at least a little bit. Okay, what happens next? Where do we go from here? Well, the Packers have the Bills a week from today. And oh, yesterday, I would have penciled that in as a win, just thinking that the Packers probably can, can figure out the Bills, can figure out Josh Allen and all the things that go along with that. But they tore up the Vikings today, so who knows? We'll have to take a little bit closer look at the Vikings, or at the, not at the Vikings, we already got them up close and personal, at the Bills throughout the week. Speaking of the Vikings, though, the Packers and the Vikings could both be looking up at the Bears today, but Chicago is also having a rough Sunday afternoon. They are losing to a bad team of their own this week, getting handled by the Arizona Cardinals. As of this recording, obviously a lot of time left. To make matters worse for the NFC North, the Lions haven't won yet this year. They are in prime time tonight, and they get to play the New England Patriots. I bet that's going to go just super well. Again, a banner day for the NFC North. Don't want to end this one on a down note, but hey, what else we got? Uh, there's not a whole lot to be positive about this for this week. The Packers are 1-1-1. One, one, and one. They will try to get above 500 next week. Is it 500? Above, I guess, 33%. Eh, they're not really one, and it's not really one in three. They haven't won. I don't know. It's not worth being super complicated about. Packers are trying to get their second win next week. Let's just leave it at that. The Buffalo Bills thought they were going to be bad. Maybe they're good. Who knows? It's the NFL. This is a weird season so far. I'm going to say it's probably going to get a little bit le- weirder. We'll see you Coming very soon for another episode of Blue 58. Thank you very much for listening. Go Packers. We'll try harder next time. I'm going to end the recording now. This ending has gone on too long. Wouldn't you say? I would say. It's an awkward ending. Goodbye. The show is over now. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. This is the end. See you later. Blue 58!